Hello, everybody, and welcome to the July 14th, 2020 edition of Peaceful Globalist Review. I am your host, the Peaceful Globalist, Ephraim Josine. And ladies and gentlemen, while Josh Hawley is continuing to battle it out with some sports ball player who called him an idiot or something because Hawley called him a communist, because that's basically how politics works now. Josh Hawley can go around and call you a traitor and a communist all you want. But if you say, what what the hell's wrong with you? Oh my god, you're engaging in cancel culture. Can, can we actually, like, cancel Josh Hawley? I still have no idea what cancel culture actually is, by the way. Sounds like something you'd hear one of the main characters complain about in Clueless. Anyone ever see Clueless? That was a good movie. Uh, <laughs> but seriously, cancel Josh Hawley. I demand it. I, he needs to be canceled. Um, but anyway, Reason Magazine decided to actually look into his records on various issues. Now, one of Holly's biggest issues when he's been in the Senate has been sex trafficking. My, this is the same man who said during his 2018 campaign that sex trafficking was the result of contraceptives, uh, which shows a great lack of sympathy or empathy for the victims of sex trafficking. But he cares. He he really cares. Don't worry. He thinks it's the fault of them being sluts, but he cares. Anyway, this was in Reason Today. When Missouri police raided several Springfield massage parlors in 2017, as Senator Josh Hawley tells it, it was a righteous rescue mission led by a promising young attorney general who would later go on to become a rising Republican star in the U.S. Senate. A rising star in the same way Joseph McCarthy was a rising star. Holly's self-aggrandized account goes like this. After getting wind of a potential sex trafficking ring at Asian massage parlors all around Greene County and the city of Springfield, wonder if that's the Springfield the Simpsons live in, Holly's office helped state county police free, quote, female victims from being trapped in massage parlors and, quote, forced into sex work while, quote, the participants in the ring were charged. In fact... Holly said at the time, quote, some evidence collected by Highway Patrol leading up to these raids suggested that there are potential ties to Asian organized crime. Like I had to specifically say Asian organized crime. While this tale nicely reinforces Holly's longstanding preoccupation with public morality and Chinese homogeny, the evidence doesn't back up his version of events. The real story is one about police and prosecutors overreach at the expense of potentially vulnerable immigrants followed by grandstanding and falsehoods from a senator intent on rewriting his own history. Now, you may be thinking they're being hyperbolic. Then the article goes on. Three years after the initial raids, Missouri has managed to elicit six guilty pleas to misdemeanor offenses against the state's massage licensing laws. Not exactly sex trafficking. A tangentially related investigation in Louisiana yielded a single guilty plea at labor trafficking with zero evidence of coerced sex or threats of violence, along with one plea to money laundering and one to, quote, prohibitable sexual conduct at a massage parlor, which typically just means prostitution. Um, and by the way, not all prostitution is sex trafficking, for the record. Meanwhile, several small businesses have had to spend years fighting duplicative, ongoing civil court orders brought by Holly. It says these businesses and their owners cannot engage in or permit prostitution, which is already illegal under Missouri law, after cops followed, stopped, and questioned their customers, a few of whom said they had been touched sexually by masseuses. 
Uh, a little bit of a vague statement, but okay, that could mean something. Far from rescuing helpless victims, the raids Holly bragged about have most likely put women at greater risk. Yeah, I think that sums up everything you need to know. It turns out the um, building in question was run by two Chinese immigrants and was a typical massage parlor. Not a single employee claimed to have been coerced into sex in any way. Neither did any customer claim to have had sex with an employee. Okay? So all of that is just utter nonsense spewed by Josh Holly. The reason for this is, well, for a number of reasons. Most notably, he wants to make himself look tough on such serious issues, and if you don't support his legislation, you just love human trafficking. Of course, everyone who isn't a human trafficker is against human trafficking, but that's a different story entirely that I thought shouldn't need to be told. You know, I just thought that was obvious, but hey, look at where we are now. In truth, Holly is constantly, um, how do I put it, expanding his charges, primarily to make himself look much more politically savvy and much more populistic, if you will, than he actually is. If he were to say, I shut down a massage parlor ran by two legal Chinese immigrants, well, that doesn't sound so good. If he says, I screwed up and accidentally shut down a massage parlor ran by two Chinese legal immigrants because I assumed that there was human trafficking involved on very shaky evidence, and by the way, Reason Magazine goes through the evidence, there isn't any evidence. That would also sound really stupid, but if he says, I freed human trafficking victims and put the traffickers in jail, despite the fact Holly can't even point to a single victim of human trafficking he saved, well, that sounds amazing. That's the kind of man Josh Holly is. He is all spectacle. He only has any power because he is has this illusion around it. It's the same, I keep comparing him to Joseph McCarthy. Okay, and a lot of people seem to think I'm only doing that as an insult. That's not entirely true. I am also comparing him to Joseph McCarthy because he has that similar vibe. McCarthy only had power because we let him have power. He could have just been a normal senator from, I think it was Wisconsin. But no, instead, he had jumped, jumped up charges, and instead of saying, you're ridiculous, a lot of people rolled over. A lot of people went along with it. And I know what you're thinking. Well, this isn't nearly as bad as the Red Scare. Well, as of right now, yeah. But McCarthy's first lie was not the Red Scare. His first lie was lying about the age of a judge, age of which was matter of public record, might I add, to make the judge sound much older than he was so he could win an election. That's basically how he started his political career, by lying repeatedly. Is Josh Hawley the next Joseph McCarthy? I genuinely can't say for sure at the moment. I will say, however, he has a very similar power to what McCarthy had. Most notably, he can go into a room, lie repeatedly, and soak it in just the right rhetoric to make it sound believable. In McCarthy's case, it was obviously he was fighting against communism. In Holly's case, he's also fighting against communism. And he's also fighting against human trafficking, despite the fact we just covered he hasn't. And let's not forget the fact that he's fighting against big tech monopolies, which he can't even prove exist. But oh no, there are only five alternative Twitter platforms. He needs at least seven. 
Am I really to believe that? Really? Okay. Okay. Of course, Holly's also been somewhat involved with the band TikTok thing, which if you are genuinely involved in, I don't consider you a serious person. I really don't. But no, the reason I highlighted this story was just to show how disgusting Holly has essentially ruined the lives of two legal immigrants, two legal Chinese immigrants, who opened a massage parlor, and then he ruined their lives because he claimed they were engaging in human trafficking. Is that this cancel culture I keep hearing about? Can we have that, like, trending on Twitter? Josh Holly canceled two Chinese immigrants by lying about them engaging in human trafficking? I genuinely want to see that on Twitter one day, but we're never going to see that because that would imply that anybody could dare question the unquestionable Senator Josh Hawley. The only place I've actually seen him be called out, besides, of course, this podcast, is Reason Magazine. And this is one of the reasons I have so much respect for Reason Magazine, because they are the only outlet of real journalism left at this point that's actually calling this person out, okay? I mean, there's no way around it. Everyone else, this should be 24-7 coverage. It should be Josh Holly live about rescuing human trafficking victims and in the process ruined a Chinese immigrant couple's life. Lives. That should be like 24-7 news. You should be forced to resign on that, far as I'm concerned. You should be locked up, far as I'm concerned, if you do something like that. If you accuse people, especially with such a position of power he had as the Attorney General of Missouri, of something as horrible as human trafficking and arrest people that turn out to be completely false, yeah, you should spend time in jail for that, as far as I'm concerned. You should not be a free man, as far as I am concerned, for doing something that evil. Okay? And that's how I put it. This is genuinely evil. And the fact he continues to lie about this to this day is also genuinely evil. And this is why you should never take anything Josh Holly says about human trafficking even mildly seriously. Anyway, I found this on Mediaite, and it's honest to God one of the funniest things I've seen in a while. Uh, if you guys don't know my relationship, giant quote, with uh, Lincoln Project and Rick Wilson, it basically starts and ends with, Rick Wilson follows the Liberty Hawk on Twitter, and I write to the Liberty Hawk every now and again. It's nothing big. With that said, I have played Lincoln Project ads on this show before, and I've even praised them for actually appealing to Trump voters, in my opinion. In fact, I feel out of all of them, Lincoln Project is the closest, most notably because they are Republicans who do care about similar issues. With that said, I have been very careful to never say that I like Rick Wilson or agree with him a majority of the time, because I don't. In fact, if Rick Wilson and I were the same age, or if I were his age would be a better term because he's way older than me, uh, there's a very good chance we'd have spent most of our political careers boxing each other. <laughs> I really disagree with his neoconservative politics. I really do. Um, with that said, the show called Tuning Out the News, which is apparently part of Stephen Colbert, or Stephen Colbert created, it's on CBS. And you know what? I have not watched late night talk shows in years. Okay, I'm going to be blunt with you. This segment made me want to watch them again. They have Rick Wilson on, and he doesn't squirm, like CBS says, primarily because he's being talked over the whole time. But it's a parody news show, okay, with these fake anchors, and Rick Wilson's a real person being interviewed, and they just make fun of him. Again, he didn't squirm, like CBS is saying, because that's he wasn't really given enough time to talk. He didn't dodge any questions or anything. He just answered in very short sentences. 
They talked about his delinquent fraudulent connections to the Bush Cheney administration. It is honestly some of the funniest stuff I've seen in a while. Just give this a listen. Hate us. Now let's talk about who is involved with the Lincoln Project. At least seven members of your leadership team are Bush Cheney campaign alumni. And I gotta say, we really miss Bush. He always did what was right for the country, that country being Saudi Arabia. George W. Bush had such skill. Unlike Trump, he knew how to keep human suffering a few more degrees of separation away from us. Well, look, there's no president in the history of this country who's done more to abuse the, the office of the presidency to treat Americans in ways that are racially and, and morally and economically divisive. And he is, mm -hmm. he is unquestionably the worst president in our history. We agree with you, Rick. Trump's failures are much, much worse than George W. Bush's. I mean, Trump is responsible for bad deficit increases, bad corruption, bad racism, and bad countless deaths. But George W. Bush, on the other hand, is responsible for good deficit increases, good corruption, good racism, and good countless deaths. You know, I miss the Republican Party before it embraced Trump, back when it only laid the groundwork for him. Moving on, you've received. Yeah, I think it was Tom Woods who said it best. We libertarians were really the only ones who could be, and never Trump, because we were also never Bush and never McCain and never Romney, and never any of those guys, because we knew the truth that they were all reckless neoconservatives who were more interested in preserving their oligarchy than they were in actually implementing free market policies or uh, helping the Constitution. And of course, Bush basically legalized unconstitutionality through Patriot Act and through various other government expansion programs. But those were fine, of course, because they were to fight terrorism, trademark. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I genuinely side with people like Catlin Johnstone on this. And for that matter, Stephen Colbert. And this is one of the things, by the way, I so love about Jon Stewart and about Stephen Colbert is... When they hate someone, and I mean just hate someone, they never let it go. I know what you're thinking, isn't that a bad thing? Well, not really in politics. No, not in politics. You should have grudges. You should have enemies in politics. Forgive and forget does not work on such a giant scale as it does politically. This is why if you look at... Um, Basically, any of the Obama-era John Stewart segments from The Daily Show, yeah, a lot of them were saying, well, how did you react when Bush did this? Or here was you being wrong in 2005. <laughs> and the reason for that is because you so thoroughly screwed up that we should never take what you have to say seriously again. And there was a segment on The Daily Show. It's one of my favorite segments. I think it was called Start Wars. And it was making fun of all the neoconservatives and how they'd be wrong. And it showed Lindsey Graham, uh, the late John McCain, the crimologist, or Bill Crystal. Seriously, that's what he looks like. Uh, and I think, I think David Wolfowitz. No, Paul Wolfowitz. Sorry, Paul Wolfowitz. I was thinking, I was getting confused with David Horowitz. Paul Wolfowitz. That's who I was thinking of. And it just showed them, here's you being wrong the first time. Here's them, here's you being wrong now about Iran. This is the same thing, different day. Uh, one of my favorite jokes on all of the Daily Show, and it was such a minor joke, it just got such a laugh out of me, was it showed Bush saying that the seeds of democracy have been planted in Iraq. And then it cuts to Lindsey Graham going, this president, through his actions in Iraq, have planted the seeds of 9-11. 
And then Stuart just goes, oh no! They replaced democracy seeds with the seeds of 9-11! Why does Burpee sell 9-11 seeds? It was the funniest thing ever. <laughs> I'm serious, I'm serious. And that's why I don't hate Trevor Noah as much as a lot of people do. I, I genuinely don't. I don't like him, but I don't hate him. But he falls into that category a lot of, well, hey, I mean, yeah, these people were bad back then. Samantha B is the worst example. I remember, remember when in 2017, Sanders and Cruz had those debates, and she was like, oh, I'd much rather have Ted Cruz in the White House than Donald Trump. Wait, wait, what did you say about Ted Cruz during the primaries, exactly, Samantha B? Oh, you said uh, that he read the Bible while he was, quote, too busy not having sex. Uh, very funny, Samantha B. You clearly respect this person. Or you called him God's mistake. You did all of that. You did all of that. And that's why I do have a respect for, for John Stewart. Now he's kind of left. He's much less politically involved now. But also to Stephen Colbert, who has been keeping that up. He has been mocking the never-Trump Republicans who are wrong about every single thing. I don't know. John Oliver has really been neutral on them. But he has sort of fallen into that trap as well of going, well, I mean, previously, yeah, these guys were bad, but look at them now. Or he doesn't really talk about it one way or the other. Although when he does, he somewhat screws it up. Sometimes some screws it up, sometimes doesn't. But no, that's the funny part to me. Okay, the fact that the entire media is going around. And that was one of the absurdities of The Daily Show and The Colbert Report in the first place, that you were getting truthful news from Comedy Central. That's actually one of the reasons why that Crossfire interview from 2004 stuck so well. It was Tucker Carlson and whoever the Democrat on Crossfire was at the time saying, well, you don't have any journalistic integrity, and yet you say we don't? And then Stewart's like, I, I'm on Comedy Central. I lead in the South Park. You lead into important stuff. <laughs> and anyway, as for the segment, I think it's hilarious. I really do. I genuinely find that really funny attitude. And I'm happy someone's calling it out. I, I really, really am. And mind you, mind you, there are pro-Trumpers who are also very pro-Iraq. Rod Dreher is a big one among these people. Yet he was a vocal backer of the Iraq War. Pat Buchanan sabotaged in 1972 an anti-Vietnam Republican's candidacy. He was going to run against Richard Nixon uh, by basically trying to associate him with hashtag the blacks. I mean, that's really what happened. That's what Buchanan did. Because Buchanan is an, is an irredeemable human being who just sort of bases his life on what way the wind's going. And that also bothers me, too. Like, people like Ben Shapiro and Max Boot and David French and Rick Wilson are given hell for supporting Iraq when a lot of people supported Iraq. Uh, they were all wrong. and They were... Horribly wrong, in my opinion. But a lot of people did support it. Seriously. Now, that said, people like Rod Dreher and Sean Hannity's another one. He supported it originally. Trumpers still love him. And Pat Buchanan, although that was Vietnam, not Iraq, but the point still stands. And mind you, Buchanan was old enough to where he should have known by then. He should have had his ideology figured out by then. Buchanan was in his 20s and working for Nixon. During Vietnam, okay, I think he might have been in his 30s or 40s, actually. He was an old man. He was an old man, okay? Like a really old man. Um, 
Or at least he currently is a radio. <laughs> but now, you guys see my point. The point is, at the end of the day, what you do in politics, there is no forgive and forget. There is no, oh, well, I just made a mistake. No, if you irreversibly affect millions of people on a day-to-day -day basis, there's no such thing as a mistake. You either do something or you don't. And I think that's very fair, and I am at the very least happy someone's calling this out to respond. And mind you, the segment wasn't even really attacking Wilson as much as it was attacking the generic liberals, the hashtag resist people who were supporting him, who he had previously called rubes. But <laughs> it's just funny. It's just funny in that regard. That's the kind of thing this segment is. And I'm happy someone is calling out the fact that, yeah, a lot of these Republicans were perfectly fine with Trump, or would have been fine with Trump, had he just been nicer. That's what it comes down to. That account, Lowell GOP, said it best. Uh, the biggest issue to a lot of never Trumpers is that Marco Rubio isn't president. And Bill Crystal made he endorsed Marco Rubio, so what do you know? Anyway, now let's talk about Louisiana Senator John Kennedy, who was making one of his frequent guests on Sean Hannity's show yesterday. When he said the following about school reopening, it is absolutely eh, something else. Let's just leave it at that. Something else. Here is the clip. What are your thoughts? America's going through a rough patch right now, Sean. Some people seem to be enjoying it. Maybe they just hate America. Maybe they just enjoy watching the world burn. I think some are, um, are liking the, uh, the chaos because they think it gives them a political advantage. Part of that chaos is being caused by our schools closing. For our kids, we need to open them. I can promise you for many of our kids, keeping these schools closed is going to hurt them far worse than the coronavirus can. France, me... Germany... Go ahead, sir. Uh, Denmark, Austria, uh, uh, Vietnam, even Vietnam has opened their schools. And, we, and they've done it safely, and we can too, and we should too. And if I can say one other thing, I know some people in good faith disagree with me, and I respect that. Let's have the debate. But there are some people who, who uh, want to keep our schools closed because they think it gives them a political advantage. And they're using our kids as political pawns. And to them, I say unashamedly, they can kiss my ass. That's wrong to do that to the kids of America. Not the people in good faith, but those who are just enjoying the chaos because they think it's going to help them in November. Now, first off, uh, just like last time when he said, call a crackhead if you have any issues with the police system, Senator Kennedy is one of those people who can't actually think, so he uses the stereotypes of stereotypes of Republicans. That's why his best argument is, these people hate America. Yes, they hate America because they're trying to keep Americans alive. Side note, what is Senator Kennedy's opinion on the public school system? Has he ever really shown any strong agreement with it? Because I recall him saying it was broken several times. I, I could be wrong, though. I could be wrong, though. But I recall him saying it wasn't very good. Um, especially in states like California, which is the state that Hannity was asking him to comment on. But for that matter, the other thing I want to notice is 
What actually separates good and bad faith here? Can you give me an example? Who is somebody, in your opinion, Senator, who is doing this entirely in good faith? Just give me one person who you feel is entirely in good faith. Can you do that? Anyone? Anyone? Uh, do you think DeWine was in good faith? Do you think Newsom is in good faith? Do you think, uh, what? who else? Homo's been in good faith? Do you think de Blasio's been in good faith? Anyone under the sun? Larry Hogan, do you think he's been acting in good faith? Anyone? Anyone? You got any person? No, of course not, because you throw that in there. Because if you said, everyone who disagrees with me hates America, that would obviously sound ridiculous. So instead, what you do, this is a trick a lot of politicians do, and I point out every single time I see it, is you sit there and go, well, I'm sure some of them are reasonable, but for them who I'm actually talking to, they hate America. Well, who in your camp doesn't hate America? Give me one person, one group of people. It can be anyone under the sun. Uh, is, it, is it that guy over there? He's, he's against reopening the schools. Is that guy over there one of the people doing this in good faith? Oh, he is? He, I'm pointing to a stuffed dolphin, you idiot. Ha-ha, you just fell into my trap, Senator Kennedy. How do you feel? I mean, there's no way around this. And those who have been listening to me for a while know this is something I cannot stand. When politicians do, and Kennedy is one of the kings of it right now, is just making these vague statements, alluding that there are probably reasonable disagreements, but who cares about them anyway? There's just so many practical, practical arguments... I just happen to be on this side, and if you disagree, you might not necessarily hate America, but anyone who's my political opponent hates America. You, like, jump, and it's the weirdest thing to watch. Like, okay, okay, Senator, calm down, calm down, and I'll pat you on the head. Who's a good doggy? Who's a good doggy? You feeling better, Senator? You feeling better? Because you're getting a little aggressive, while at the same time promising there are people acting in good faith. Who's acting in good faith? Just give me one person, and I'll stop asking. One person. Steve Hellenberg, is he acting in good faith? Probably not, because he doesn't really have an opinion on school reopening, because he's been dead for a year. That's just the first name I could think of, sorry. <laughs> I I'm serious. I, I want to know. Who's acting in good faith here, John? I, I just give me that, and for that matter, why do you keep blinking? That's the other thing I want to ask you. Why do you keep blinking so much? I pointed this out last time. He blinks, like, every second. It's weird. You're weird, Senator Kennedy. Why do you keep... What, what? Is something in your eye, Senator? Because you have staff to get it out. What's wrong with you, Senator Kennedy? I just want to know. I just want to know. Anyway, I have sad news for everyone. The New York Times opinion editor, Barry Weiss, has resigned. Not Barry Weiss. Anyone but Barry Weiss. Who's Barry Rice again? Oh, she was that woman who said that she believed Ford's claims against Kavanaugh, but still believed Kavanaugh should be on the Supreme Court, which is literally the worst position you could have taken. Okay, I don't really care. Didn't care before either, but now I really don't care. <laughs> By the way, just like with the uh, Blake Neff thing yesterday, or, I know, it was Friday that happened, although yesterday I talked about it. There seemed to be a lot of people forgetting she resigned. Same thing with Kevin Hart and the Oscars. These people resigned 
And then the story becomes they were fired. No, they left of their own free will. They didn't resign. Just like, it's like if I said Richard Nixon was fired by cancel culture. What does that even mean? What does that even mean? Okay. Anyway, Josh Hammer seems to think this is a big deal, saying that it's now time for liberals to embrace the anti-authoritarian warnings of conservatives. Because it's been conservatives who have historically warned about fascism jumping out and scaring them. And, for that matter, Yo Harmazani thinks this represents a big fight between liberals and Marxists or something. And they have to side with him or because you always have to side with Yo Harmazani. Of course, if the Marxists win, or if the Marxists lose, sorry, he's going to say they should, they should um, side with him no matter what. Because Yo Harbazani is a great opportunist and just a noted silly person. Mike Cernovich recognized this as nonsense, and I barely recognize it at all. Um, she wrote a letter of resignation, which is very weird to do if you're fired, might I add. But please keep ignoring that in your cancel culture go gone mad pieces. I beg you to continue doing that. I especially find it funny regarding Hammer, truth be told. Has it even saying for years the New York Times is a communist outlet or something? Now, now, specifically, it's crossed the line. I thought it crossed the line when it didn't recover, when it didn't cover Ukrainian famines because it was covering New York news and not Ukrainian news. But again, they, they just continue to forget actual facts. Let's read some of her resignation letter. My own forays in the wrong thing have made me the subject. This is on her only publishing New York Times op-ed She more or less feels are safe, the anti-Trump stuff, as opposed to the really interesting stuff, guys, that she could be publishing, like the stuff by, I don't know, off the top of my head, who is the New York Times published? You know, they published My Margadafe at one point. Heck, under her leadership, they published a general at the Taliban. Seriously, they did that under her leadership, just recently. But no, the New York Times is not taking risks. They're only getting real voices. Or safe voices. Sorry, they only need safe voices like generals of the Taliban. Remember that story? I'd still have flashbacks. <laughs> um, have made me the subject of constant bullying by colleagues who disagree with my views. They have called me a Nazi and a racist. Uh, over what? Over what? I have learned to brush off the comments about how I'm writing about the Jews again. That's what, what are you writing about, though? Several colleagues perceived to be friendly with me were barraged by my co-workers. My work and my character are openly demeaned by, on a company-wide slash channel where masterhead editors regularly weigh in. There, some co-workers insist I need to be rooted out if this company is to be truly inclusive, while others post axe emojis next to my name. Still, other New York Times employees publicly smear me as a liar and a bigot on Twitter with no fear that harassing me will be met with appropriate action. They never are. Um, again, what, what have you done? Is this about the Tom Cotton thing? Because the New York Times, really the issue is more they back down from that than anything else. There were more people criticizing them backing down for it than there were criticizing the fact that they published it. But even then, I'll, okay, I'll give you that. New York Times is no stranger to controversy. They've been in controversy their entire career. That's what the New York Times is. It's one giant controversy. 
I even joke about it on the podcast commonly. The New York Times just gets into a new controversy every day because they post op-eds by people who sometimes are disagreed with. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. But, okay, who's harassing you? What have you been subject to? What did you say specifically that makes this different? I mean, this is the paper that's published op-eds from the aforementioned Myanmar Gaddafi, uh, Taliban generals. They once published an op-ed by Adolf Hitler, fun fact. Tons of other people. What specifically happened? That's all I want to know, Bari. Okay, here's one example. It took the paper two days and two jobs to say that the Tom Cotton op-ed, quote, fell short of our standards. We attached an editor's note on the trivial story about Jaffa shortly, and after it was published because it, quote, failed to touch on the important aspects of Jaffa's makeup and history. But there is still none appended to Cheryl Stray's fawning interview with writer Alice Walker, a proud anti-Semite who believes in lizard Illuminati. Uh, for the record, I looked into this a little. The most real evidence I can find is Walker is friends. And I'm using friends extremely loosely. It's much more like she's a fan of David Icke. Who, if you don't know, is the lizard person guy, basically. To which, okay, I guess. But that's not why she was being interviewed. She was being interviewed for a history of other activism. Um, and for that matter, David Icke is not really an anti-Semite. That's just flat-out misleading. Yeah, he believes in weird lizard person stuff. Doesn't believe they're Jews, though. Believes they're lizards. As in not human. Okay? A lot of people say, oh, that's a dog whistle. Well, for a dog whistle, you as a human seem to be hearing that really clearly. Are you part dog? I'm sorry, but I, I'm gonna. This is a different topic entirely. The truth is about dog whistles is if you figured out something's a dog whistle, it's no longer a dog whistle. You may remember it used to be back in the 50s, certain colored clothing or certain patterns on clothes was signed that someone was a communist, or I don't know, a blanket over a uh, power line is a way to means it's a place to do drugs. By the time those claims reach mainstream media. People have already found a different dog whistle. Dog whistles are secret codes. If you find a secret code, if someone figures out your secret code and you don't want to know the secret code, you change the secret code. Okay? David Icke's not an anti-Semite. I don't think he's particularly smart. I think he's pretty creative, truth be told. Has some fairly interesting ideas. He's not an anti-Semite, though. And for that matter, the book of Walker's, or book of Icke's Walker promoted, Human Race, Get Off Your Knees, is not about the lizard person conspiracy. It's a self-help book, okay? Like, a quarter of David Icke's books are self-help books, truth be told. But the God's honest truth, David Icke is mostly a self-help guy. With some lizard person stuff sprinkled in and some 9-11 truther stuff sprinkled in. And wait a minute, I thought intellectual curiosity was the thing the Times has abandoned. Now they're interviewing somebody who, by the way, your evidence that they're an anti-Semite comes down to them associating with someone who also maybe is an anti-Semite if you look hard enough. How is that not part of intellectual curiosity? And don't give me the Times has never done this before. You guys published an op-ed by Adolf Hitler. Shove it up your ass. Okay? I think the thing that bothers me the most is the proud anti-Semite. 
Again, the only accusations of anti-Semitism would have come to Walker are because of her very loose connections with Ike, who is not, who is, does not call himself an anti-Semite. Not really the pattern of a proud anti-Semite is my point. Like everything about this bothers me. Ugh. The paper of record, more and more, the record of those living in a distant galaxy, one whose concerns are profoundly removed from the lives of most people. This is a galaxy in which, to choose a few recent examples, the Soviet space program is lauded for its diversity. I mean, that could actually be a fairly interesting topic. Again, I thought that would be intellectual curiosity if the space program was more diverse than the average American understood. And mind you, I'm not saying you should whitewash the Soviet Union, but hey, that is still history worth talking about. The doxing of teenagers in the name of justice is condoned. Source, please. And the worst caste system in human history includes the United States alongside Nazi Germany. Um, okay, yes, the Trump is Hitler comparisons are kind of idiotic comparing one or another. Is this a 1619 reference? Is this a 1619 reference? I can't tell if this is a Trump is Hitler reference or a 1619 reference. I'll do both. I'll do both. 1619 has never said that the U.S. and Nazi Germany are comparable as of right now. As in the U.S. right now is not comparable to the Nazi Germany. In truth, the U.S. has done some horrible things. Hitler even wrote a fawning letter about the U.S.'s eugenics program. However, the main reason the Nazi empire is so remembered, is so vilified, is not because their ideas were new. Okay? It's because they are so recent and they were so gleeful about it. When the U.S. did things like Tuskegee, they covered it up. Nazis didn't do that. They were bragging about their Tuskegee-esque experiments. For that matter, let's notice the little hypocrisy in Wes's letter. Okay, so we're going to assume that she, she identifies as a left-leaning centrist. Okay? She's not a big fan of Donald. And for that matter, she says that one of the points of the Times is to release op-eds by people that have different views, including ones she disagrees with. A few paragraphs later, even now, I'm confident that most people at the Times do not hold these views, yet they are cowed by those who do? Why? I thought because they wanted to release a diverse set of views, including sometimes people they disagree with. What is going on here? Serious question. What is going on here? It seems like you're just complaining that your specific pick for articles you disagree with aren't getting in the light. And if that's the case, if you just said, hey, I don't think the articles that are being suggested are particularly good, that's fine. I don't work for the New York Times, so I don't care. You can leave all you want. My question is, however, what is your issue here other than my articles weren't picked, or people didn't like the ones I picked. Because I cannot find anything else in this letter. I really can't. Read through the whole thing, cannot find anything else other than complaining that people don't like your choices. That's it. And you know what? That's all for tonight. If you enjoy this episode, you'll enjoy my new book, The Establishment is Dead, Long Live the Establishment. I am Ephraim, and good night.